You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Uh, so with that, we are in Psalm 73 and uh, just really fun psalm, lots going on there. We only read the kind of back end of that psalm. And so we'll kind of just see what's going on in the midst of like what's going on in Asaph's heart. Because there's two things, there's, there's Asaph version one, that's verses 17 and before, and then there's Asaph version two, and that's kind of what we read in our scripture reading. Uh, so we're just going to kind of talk about what that looks like to have two versions of Asaph and what happened there. And uh, kind of what's going on with this psalm, it reminds me of the summer. And right now what's going on in the summer is, is kind of nothing. Uh, so we're like just praying for our kids to get back into school. <laughs> and we're like, what do we do with our kids? Uh, and all the summer camps and all the like things are done. And so it's like, baby, let's hold on. Uh, you know, like we're gonna make it. Uh, so there's that. And even in sports, there's like not really anything going on in sports. So like Sports Center has to look on Twitter to find who tweeted who. Uh, and then they talk about that. And that's usually the sports news. So there's really nothing going on, which is totally different than what's going on at the beginning of the summer. And there's all these like graduations and uh, camps and uh, VBS and all these things going on. Uh, and for me, I'm a big sports guy. I love uh, basketball and my love for basketball is kind of growing. So I was in that season at the beginning of the summer where I was just watching, you know, the NBA playoffs and the finals and all that stuff. And through that, I was trying to, I was struggling to find time uh, to like spend time with the Lord. And so I just kept coming to the Lord and be like, gosh, Lord, I just don't have any time to spend with you, can you please give me like more time to do that? And, and I could, there was this one moment uh, throughout the playoffs where the Lord was like, you're watching three hours of basketball a night. You have the time. Uh, so that, and I was like, I see you. I see you. Um, I'm tripping. My bad. Uh, and so it's just kind of this moment where, like, have you ever just been in that, that place where you, you see something and, and you're, you're like complaining to God, asking for things, and, and the Lord's like, I've already given that to you. You just don't see it yet. And, and that's just kind of like the crazy thing that goes on in our walk with the Lord is uh, we see things one way, and we, we think our vision and the way we see things is right. And then once we get near to God, we realize how wrong we were. Uh, and, and the way that God sees things um, is very different. Uh, so this is what happens with, with our walk with the Lord. We're walking with the Lord. We see something, our eyes fixate on something, whether that's NBA playoffs or working out or something bad going on in our lives or something bad going on in someone else's life. We gossip about that. Something bad happens or something happens. We fixate on that. And then we start to complain. We start to question. We start to compare. We start to justify. We start to cover up some of the insecurities that are happening in our heart um, and then bring that before the Lord thinking that he doesn't know that. Uh, we do all these things in response to the suffering that we see. And, and really what happens is we see something and then we put all of our eggs into going after that and saying, if I have that, then I will be all right. And all of those things that we go after end up not being God himself. Uh, and then we, he, like, the Satan leads us into this place where we start to get a really twisted view of, of who God is in our relationship with him because we start thinking uh, prosperity gospel, which is, God, I did this for you, so now I deserve this in return. And, and when you start saying those things to God, what happens is we get this heart of entitlement, not a heart of where we need to receive grace, which is something you don't deserve. 
everything that you've been given, your ability to walk, your children if you have children, an education if you're in college, um, those things aren't yours and you don't deserve them. And so what Asaph, what we'll see in a little bit is, is version one of Asaph prior to verse 17. He's in this twisted view where he's thinking, I've done something for you, God. So why aren't you giving me what I deserve in return? And that's a scary, scary place to be in. Uh, and so the thing that we're gonna be asking is the same thing I was asking to myself during the NBA finals. Why are you tripping? How do you know if you are about to slip in your walk with the Lord? How do you know if you are seeing God clearly? This is what Asaph is going to tell us, and we're going to do some investigative work, and there are some things that he's going to, to hint to us to figure out what's going on. If you don't know anything about Asaph, Asaph in the Old Testament, he think like a Jimmy Needham um, on musical steroids, okay? So th this guy, so he's like the right-hand man of David, and if David wants to like have a, you know, a song be led in worship, he's like, Asaph, bring your boys, and actually, it's like, bring your brothers. He's like worship leading with his brothers. So it's more like a Jackson 5, but the Christian version, vocational minister version of the Jackson 5. I mean, that's what's going on with Asaph. So he is constantly in the temple and he's leading people in worship. But the scary thing is that we find out that he doesn't know how to lead himself in worship. He does all the functions, does all the right things, sings all the right words, but then there is a heart that is separated from the words that he is saying and the function of what he's doing and leading others in worship. And that's Asaph, all right? So we, 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 the, the Ark of the Covenant is, bring, is brought before um, in the tent and David's like, this is great. Let's sing songs to him. And he brings Asaph and then the, song, the words that come out of his mouth, it's like he gets it. And we look in Psalm 73 and we see something completely different. And what we, are, what we are begin to realize and recognize as we work through this is that he just doesn't see God clearly. Um, and, and, and he doesn't see God clearly because in the, in the first half of this Psalm, he is not near God, even though he's doing things for God. Scary place to be. So, so let's jump in. The first thing uh, that you'll kind of figure out in terms of how, if you're not seeing God clearly or if you are, is based upon what you track. So in verse uh, one, it starts like this. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So there's two things going on. The back end of verse three, he is tracking one thing and that is not God's work and movement. It is the work of, the, of others, the work and movement of the prosperity and it's in, uh, the wicked. So they're doing prosperity of the wicked. They're doing well. The wicked people are doing well. So there's this lens thing where he's tracking and looking at earthly vision. Everything that's going on in the world, everything that other people are doing and he's like, this is not what I signed up for in the Christianity thing. Um, why, why are they doing well and I am not doing well and I know you and they don't know you? So, so his eyes are here and, and, and so there's a vision issue. And why is there a vision issue? Because of the first part of verse three, it says, for I was envious of the arrogance. So there is a vision issue and then there's a heart issue. 
The reason why he's looking to the world and looking to the wicked is because there is a heart issue. And so when he's coming before God and he's saying, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Because what I'm, what I'm seeing is not good and this Christianity thing doesn't seem to be worth it. Because they're doing well. Read for the rest of this. Verse four, for they had no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heaven and their tongue struts through the earth. He's just looking at the wicked going, what the heck is going on? And this isn't fair. So, so we have this going on. And then if you fast track and go to verse 17, something happens. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God. So he sees one thing. He goes into the sanctuary of God. And then it says he perceived. He saw. Reality came into focus like that. And what happens after verse 17, you'll see in uh, the, the verses beginning in that, it's a lot of they and it's a lot of I. They do this, what's happened with me? I've done this. And go to verse past 17, and let's just kind of look at, starting at verse 23. He goes into the sanctuary in verse 23, look at how many times the word you is used instead of they. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me with glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You know what happens when you enter into the sanctuary of God and you behold his power and beauty? You see God is holy and you see yourself, oh no, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. What I saw was they instead of you. So he walks into the sanctuary of God and what he tr is tracking now is not the prosperity of others, but he is tracking and desiring the promises and works and power of God. And so the scary thing, just to go back into what, what's happening in these first couple of verses, verses one through 17, is, is he's looking back and telling us the story of what's going on in his heart and, in his, and, and, and he's even jaded in how he's retelling the story. Look, look at what he's doing back, back at the beginning of the song. Verse two, but as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Okay, so he's like, I almost messed up. I almost sinned, but I didn't do it, God. Go to the next verse. For I was envious of the arrogant. Last time I checked, envy was a sin. 
Okay, so, so he is jaded in his view. He's like, I'm on a slippery slope, but I'm not, I'm not there yet. Uh, so, so, so we're good, God. I almost slipped, but praise God, I didn't, you know, I didn't. And then he's like, I was envious. And my heart was filled with sin. And he's not even realizing what he's saying. Move on forward. Verse 10, he, he turns and shifts from what, what it seems like himself, and he starts saying, okay, now the people of God, they, they turn back to God, they turn back to God and they're asking these questions. And so they, those people that I'm leading in worship, they're starting to question God the most high when really once you take a look at it, it's not they, but we. He is saying, I am questioning you, God. I, I find no fault in the wicked. And I'm starting to question if, God, question if God, you actually have knowledge of what's going on. Scary place to be. The last thing that you'll see is it gets even crazier because he goes to verse 15 and I actually have done this too. Uh, verse 15, so he's like, I, I've been stricken all the day long, verse 14, and I've been rebuked every morning but if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's like, there's a lot of stuff going on in my heart, God, but I ain't gonna say it, so that's okay, right? Like, as long as I don't say what's going on in my heart, we'll be okay. And God's like, are you stupid? Do you not understand that, that, that I know your heart? I know you better than you know yourself. Whether you say it or not, so he's retelling the story with a jaded view of not only of God, but himself before God. Until he walks into the sanctuary of God. And when you walk into the sanctuary of God, you're like, what does that mean? What is going on? Uh, you'll see this in a couple places in the Psalms. Psalm 68, verse 35. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be to God. Psalm 96, verse six. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Psalm 63, which is like a Cliff Notes version of Psalm 73. Psalm 63 goes like this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. When you walk into the sanctuary, what this team is praying for, what the elders are praying for, what Jimmy is praying for, and what you should be praying for is not for you to just walk into a building, but to you encounter the living God. That, that not only has power and is beautiful, but he gives that power. 
He gives that to his people, to his children. That's different than just going to church. That's going to church. You know what I'm saying? Like church. You know what I'm saying? That, that's, that's what happened when Asaph walked into the sanctuary of God. And, and, and all the yous, once you get to verse 23, you, you took my right hand, you brought me to where. So th- this, is, this is where he's beginning to realize that the only reason you are with God is because of God. God is doing the work. Not, not, not you, not you. So, so he's being led into this place where, where he understands that, he is, that God is taking his right hand and he is making him lie down. And then he's wanting you to be in a place where Psalm 16 runs, uh, verse eight runs true, where it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. He's wanting you to be led there. So what are you tracking? What's going on in the world? Are you tracking and, and fixating and lingering in the, the, the promises and the works and the power of God? So that, that, that's, that's our prayer for us is, is not to come into this place where, 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 we, where we have these expectations and we have these ways where we're trying to cover ourselves up before God and, and, and like not say these things or say these things in order to impress God. You, you should come into the sanctuary of God needy and broken knowing that he brings healing and restoration. That, that's, how you, that's how you get into the sanctuary of God. That's how you get near to God is through that. And that's our prayer for you. When you're singing songs of worship to him, it's actually where, where your, your, your words are just an overflow of what he's done in your heart. And that's what he's looking for. So, so next thing, not only is there a, a tracking issue for Asaph that we see, but, but there is a comparison issue going on. So that, that's the next thing. So um, going back to verse 10, he says, uh, so he's talking to like saying, they, the people, God's people, they turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is, is their knowledge in the most high? And so what he's doing is, is he's saying, there's these wicked people over here. Why, why are they all good? And, and me, this, this, this person that is, that is clean and holy and a saint, why am I getting all the bad stuff? And what, what he's doing here, be very careful, he is comparing himself to wicked people. Okay, first 17 verses, he is saying, I am good, I've cleaned myself up, they are bad, why are the bad people getting this? Now with that, jump to Asaph version two, and instead of comparing his righteousness to men, he is actually comparing his depravity to a holy God. So, so look at this, verse 22, he says, I was brutish and ignorant like a beast before you. You know all, I actually know nothing. And, and what he's trying to do, what, what Asaph was attempting to do, it's actually, um, not, not crazy what he's thinking. Like he understands that, that he is serving a holy God and he understands, you know this from verse one and two, that the way that you get near to God and the way that God is good to you is if you have a pure heart. 
So, so he understands that God is holy and you need to be pure before him. But the method that he goes about to get near to God is this. Look at this, verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Asaph is trying to clean himself up to get close to God rather than relying on the works and promises of Jesus to get close to God. I have washed my hands clean. God, why aren't you blessing that? And God is saying, Jesus is about to pay it all. Trust me and I will bring you close to me. It's not about you saying the right things or reading your Bible enough or going to church uh, consistently. All those things are like you're trying to bring yourself closer to God through your works and hoping that he'll love a future version of you. And God, the gospel, the gospel is that even while we were enemies, while we were children of wrath, while, while we, did, we wanted nothing to do with him, God's like, I want that. I, I'm coming you don't, you don't have to clean yourself up. I'll do the cleaning. And I'm a better cleaner than you are. As white as snow, as far as the east is from the west, I do that type of cleaning. So, so, so like, be careful. Like, don't, don't get to where you're in a jaded position in your heart where you're thinking you're comparing yourself to other men and other people. That, that's for wicked people, but that's also as we're like, swiping through Instagram or like, oh, they have a, they, they seem like they have an awesome life. I want that. And then your envy, your heart starts to be envious for other people in their prosperity. What you see on social media. So it's not just wicked people. It's also people that you see that you're lifting up on a pedestal higher than God. And so, so God is saying, I'm the most high God. If you would just lift your chin up a little bit higher, you would see you would see. Uh, so he's leading Asaph in this place only by entering into the sanctuary of God where he's saying, Here, here's the thing. The Christianity thing is about Jesus. It's about me. <laughs> the reason why you think it's all in vain is because you're trying to do the Christianity thing yourself. And one of my favorite people uh, in the church, some, some of uh, friends that Sarah and I, my wife, have just like really... Uh, grown affections for in terms of uh, what they've done in our church. It's Jimmy and Kelly Needham. And uh, this is actually like on the dot uh, about two days ago, a year into Sarah and I being at Stonegate. And we're just super thankful for what the Lord's done in our hearts. And uh, in our first couple weeks, uh, as we were just visiting home groups, we visited uh, Jimmy and Kelly Needham's home group. And uh, I'll never forget uh, this quote from, from Jimmy, uh, actually from Kelly. And she said this, uh, the Christianity thing, you know, the thing that Asaph's trying to figure out. She said, Christian maturity is not about sinning less, but about having a greater awareness of God's holiness, which leads to a greater awareness of your depravity and his grace. Let's say that again. Christian maturity is not about sinning less, but it's about ha having an awareness of who God is and seeing that clearly, and then that shining light on how depraved we are and how much we need him. And then if you're a believer, you go, God has given me, given me these identities about who I am in him. 
I'm a child of him. I've been adopted into his family. I get to call him Abba Father. Those are the identities we get. I'm an ambassador for him. I get to talk about him with joy. Boldly, I mean, so, so, so this, is, this is what the Christian life is about. Not about you working yourself up to impress him, to, to allow him to love you more. It's about you coming needy before him, saying you are a holy God and, and, and I need you to cleanse me and to, to allow you to sanctify me to look more like your son, Jesus. You do the work and the work's already been done on the cross. So it's the right comparison there is what Asaph was able to figure out, which is, which is, which is really... Um, insightful and profound, and I think super helpful for me in my heart to realize who am I comparing myself to to try to get more, to, more of God. And not even, it's like, at that, it's not where you're trying to get more of God, you're just trying to get more of the things that God has to offer and not even God. You know? Um, God, I did this for you, why aren't you giving me this? You know? Uh, so so that, that's where Asaph was at. He, he had, a, he had a, a change, and, and let me just say, I know I mentioned earlier, Jimmy, you know, is the is the, you know, Asaph is, is Jimmy on musical steroids or whatever. Uh, so I, that's true. Like he, just Asaph is, is brilliant. But I want you to know that Jimmy, um, the way that he, uh, he does a great job functionally, you know, leading in worship, but he's the type of guy that is sitting before the Lord daily first. He, he, he has an understanding that if he doesn't sit and feast and gaze his beauty upon Jesus first, he cannot lead y'all well. And that's the type of guy Jimmy, and Kelly, uh, Jimmy is, and that's the type of woman that Kelly is. And uh, she's just been really great. She's, she's actually writing a book now about, um, about like biblical friendship. And she's kind of been posting some really neat things on, on Instagram just kind of leading up to that. And so if you want to know what it means to have gospel-saturated friendship, um, she's kind of like been posting some things. And I, she didn't ask me to say, hey, ask them to follow me on Instagram. No, so it's not that. Uh, I, I'm actually encouraging you guys, if you want to be blessed and have a, a really good understanding of what it means to follow the Lord and get good gospel truths, you should follow her. So that's, that's me, not her asking that. And it would really bless you. Uh, so, so that's kind of what we're going at. The, the comparing yourself, is it... Is it comparing yourself to others and things or comparing yourself to a holy God? So we move on and, uh, and, and we get a couple more things that we get to figure out. Uh, the third thing in terms of how you understand if you're seeing God clearly is based upon what you linger in. So, so he, Asaph, if you look at verse 14, what he's lingering in is calamity, confusion, and self-help. Verse 14, for all the day long, I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. He's just sitting in this idea of like, do you see me? Am I doing all this for this? What, why God? I, uh, and it leads him to this place right before verse 17. Verse 16 says this, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Asaph is tired. And he's confused. And he's been doing this, all this work to try to get close to God. And his, it has actually not, not only brought him nothing, but actually put him in a spot where he's suffering. And the, the beauty about what Asaph does, though, is, is, is the the, the the piece of the puzzle in verse 17 is actually found in verse 16. That's actually the first moment where he is real before God. And he's like, I'm tired. So 
So I don't know about you, where you're at. Some of y'all may be in the mountaintop, praise God. If you're in a valley, that may be a moment where, where you don't try to, you know, like when people come to you and be like, maybe you're having a tough week and people come to you like, hey, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great, praise God. Good week, praise Jesus. You know, they're like doing that whole thing. And it's like, but your heart is just bleeding and wrecked inside. And, uh, and how often do we come before the Lord like that? <laughs> where, where like, instead of, instead of just coming before the Lord and saying like, I'm tired, you, you start to like give these lies to God to make it seem like you're the superhero Christian. And, and, and God's like, if you would just, just admit like surrender that you're tired. The good news is that my yoke is light. You can come to me needy, bringing me nothing, and I have everything that you need in order to bring you peace. So just, just lay your cards out there. I, I dare you to just come before me and say, I'm hurting, I'm tired, I'm confused. And so it's, it's very similar to this place, um, character in the New Testament. One of my favorite verses, um, and it's very simple. I believe, help me with my unbelief. You come before the Lord and you say, I believe that you're a God up here, but can you please help me here? I'm hurting. Or it's, I got you here. Please help me understand the truths of who you are here. Please God do that. So there's this place where you can linger in confusion, calamity, and just kind of sit there. Or you can go before the Lord, bring your neediness before him. And then that leads you into the sanctuary of God where you experience the glory and power and splendor of God. And then you get to say stuff like this. And this is uh, starting in uh, verse 26. Look at, look at how this changes for Asaph, verse 26. Uh, notice here, the situation actually does not change. He, he's still in a bad situation. He still feels like, like he's being beaten up by a fallen world. And look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So the, so the situation doesn't change. Asaph's vision and heart does once he walks into the sanctuary of God and experiences the nearness of God. And just a little bit of kind of what that means when you, when you talk about um, how, is, how is the Lord, the Lord is my strength, what does that mean? Um, there's a couple uh, of ways to kind of talk about this. One, New Testament, um, think about the prodigal son story. And uh, the older brother, so prodigal son, wastes all of the fortunes, does all that. And uh, prodigal son comes back, the father's like, kill the calf, let's celebrate. Older brother comes, into, comes onto the scene and this is his response says, he answered his father. This is Luke 15, verse 29. Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? And this older brother is being led to, the, to this place by himself where he's saying, I'm doing all this by my own strength and I'm not getting anything that I deserve in return. 
prodigal son squanders the fortunes, comes back, and this is the prodigal son's response. Not, not this is what I've done for you, I'm in awe of myself, but is this. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So what the prodigal son does is he brings his neediness before God and he says, I'm not worthy. I am in awe of the fact that you are a holy God that is willing to have an intimate relationship with a depraved man. It is your strength, not mine. Because I have nothing to offer. Actually, I already squandered all that I had to offer that you gave me. Uh, so so, that, so that, that is the idea of what it means to, to have the Lord be your strength. It's you saying, you being in awe of the fact that he is a holy God that's willing to have an intimate relationship with you. Not, look at all that I've done for you. How this plays out again, I was trying to figure out kind of what that looks like, New Testament on the idea of, of the Lord is my portion. I'm like, what is that? Um, and, and what the Lord brought me to uh, was the story of Mary and Martha. So you have the story of Mary and Martha. Jesus comes into the house he is near them and you have Martha going, okay, I gotta get stuff together. Oh my gosh, I gotta do all these things for God because, because Jesus is right here. So let me do all these things for God and let me bring them before God, okay? So, Mar- so Martha's kind of like anxious about all this stuff. Like, like Jesus is here, I gotta make sure Jesus is okay. Like I gotta, I gotta serve him, I gotta do all these things. And then you have, have Mary who sees Jesus and what does she do? Sit at his feet. And listen, I got nothing to offer. I know you're here, you're near. So let me just sit at the feet of Jesus. And look, look at what Jesus actually says in, uh, in response to that. Gosh, it is, man. And so he says, one thing is necessary. This is what Jesus says. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. What did Mary do? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So what does it mean to walk into the sanctuary of God? It's not actually doing a bunch of stuff and giving him a bunch of stuff that you can offer. That's Old Testament sacrificial system. It is actually New Testament version, which is the offering has already been killed on the cross. The work has already been done. What you have to offer is your neediness. And you just listen and sit and maybe not even speak before him. So you linger rather than self-help, confusion and calamity, you linger rather in the nearness of God because he's near. So, so that, that's how that looks. And, and, and what I want y'all kind of to get as we go to our last point is this idea that, that, that you actually want rightly and you see clearly when you are near God. You want rightly and you see clearly. See God, see the situation, see the world, see yourself more clearly when you're actually near God. And you sit and listen and ask, inquire. You do those things. Okay, last thing. So what happens is... Uh, you got, uh, you got Asaph and he lands the plane. Version two, lands the plane of Asaph on verse 28. And he says this, but for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So there's two things that you can kind of talk about when life hits you like a ton of bricks. Uh, you, can, you can tell people about your misfortunes, about the things that are bad, things that are wrong, things that you want changed. Um, you can do that. Or what you can do, because again, Asaph's um, situation did not change. But what he does is instead of telling people about all the, the, the fallenness of the world and the fallenness of people, he tells people about the grace and sovereignty of God in the midst of those misfortunes. So he's going, this stinks. He's not like minimizing what's going on. He's like, this hurts. This is hard. I, they, they are doing well and I'm not doing well. So he doesn't minimize it. It's not like fake Christianity. Almost annoying Christianity when people aren't good, uh, doing well, and they seem like they are. You know, that's annoying. Um, and so, so what, he, what he does is he goes, I see what's going on in my situation. I see what's going on out there. Let me fix my eyes on the grace of God and let me be hungry to tell others about that grace. So, so that, that's how that looks. And so um, uh, the, the scary thing for us is that like Christians, a lot of times we get in the situation, like we get in a bad situation and the only way that we're looking for God's grace is for God to deliver us from that situation. What, what if, what if there is still God's grace in the midst of the situation, not just in the deliverance? What if, what if God's saying, if you would just look up, like tilt your head a little bit higher, you would see me and the grace abundant that I've given you. Okay, so, 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 so that's how that looks. Um, and so here's a couple of questions. We'll land on this. A couple of questions that Asaph was probably asking and that you probably are asking at this point and we'll kind of answer them. Uh, so how do you change your desire? He was, he was envious after the wicked, the prosperity of the wicked. How do you change your desire? By changing what you see, look higher. Look to the most high God. Next question, how do you change what you see? You change what you see is verse 17 by being near to God. Vision correction happens when you are near God. How do you get near God? This is the kicker. How do you get near God? New Testament Christian, you get near to God by the blood of Jesus not cleaning yourself up. You get near to God by the cross in an empty tomb and you just feast on that idea, that concept, that message, that truth, not cleaning yourself up. Now the questions you should not be asking, because let, let, let's like paint in reality here. We come to church every week, right? That's like, we, we're, we're constantly coming into church. So the question is not, how do I get into the sanctuary uh, when I'm tired? That's not the question you should be asking. The, the question rather is, how do I enter rightly and what do I do when I leave? How do I enter the sanctuary rightly and what do I do when I leave? And here's the answer. You enter into the sanctuary needy, fixated on Jesus, hungry to tell of his grace. You enter the sanctuary needy, eyes fixed on Jesus, hungry to tell of his grace. So this is how this plays out. Um, end, of, end of May, uh, Sarah uh, and I, my wife, we got in like a crazy car wreck. Uh, 
car was totaled. We had our two kids in the back. Um, actually, I didn't say this in the first service, but like Sarah looked over at, uh, when the wreck happened and my head was just drooped down for about 30 seconds. Uh, so I was knocked out. Kids were screaming in the back. Um, cars totaled and uh, it was awful. Like, it was awful. And uh, the, next, the next day, Sarah, Sarah posts this Facebook status. Like, post, so you can like research it and I'm not lying, all right? This is, this, is, this is what Sarah posts. Today, our family got in a pretty major wreck. Emoji, sad face thing. It was really scary, especially with our boys. So, so let me just pause there. Sarah's not minimizing how awful it was, okay? This is pretty bad. But she says this, the one word I'll come away with is thankful. Is she crazy? We, we just got in a car wreck that endangered our whole family and the one word that comes to mind is thankful. And then she explains, thankful for colon. God's protection, provision, and healing. A safe car, safe car seats for our boys, which we walked away without a scratch. The couple that calmed me down and got me and both the boys out. The woman and her daughter who made sure we were okay, retrieved the things from the car we needed and brought us water. The people that attended to Tony when I couldn't. The fireman who let us crash the station while we waited for our friends to pick us up. And they turned on cartoons for Kai and offered us cookies. The Vaughn family who are hunger bleeders who brought us new car seats, transported us home and lent us their van for a whole week. Sue, who happened to be five minutes away from the party, we were on our way to, and she came back and took Tony to care now, and probably many more miracles and provisions to come. Tony got a dislocated toe, but besides that, we walked away without a bump. Today could have looked a lot different. I am thankful for at least one more day with my family. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy on our family. That is the heart of someone that's near God. Um, that in the midst of like, a complete disaster, she can see the grace of God and can't wait to tell others about it. Church, may we be a church that is thinking on the things of God, that's comparing ourselves to a holy God, that's lingering in the nearness of God, and is hungry to tell about Jesus and the grace that he's given you. May we be like that. So I want to give you a moment and uh, give you a moment to pray. Maybe 10, 15 seconds and uh, just process and think through. What are you thinking about? What, what are you tracking on? What, what, are your, what are your eyes fixed on of this world that's not heavenly? What are you lingering in in the midst of the situation that you're in? What, what, are you, what do you typically talk about? Do you complain about where you're at? Or do you talk about God's grace in the midst of where you're at? So get, just give a moment. Maybe the Lord will give you a word. And I'll just read these verses over you. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Maybe some of you in here, you, you recognize you're not near God and you've never been near God. There's an opportunity maybe for you to go to the tables in the back. We have people that would love to pray for you and pray with you through that and talk through how to be near to God. Maybe some of you believer, you've been so fixated on something that's going on in your situation and all you talk about is your busyness and you've missed the grace of God in the midst of it. And maybe this is a point where you come and you just bring your neediness before God and you say, this is where I'm at. I believe, help me with my unbelief. Have people in the back pray with you through that if you need it. God, we love you. We want to trust you even when we don't. We beg and plead and desire for our souls to feel the nearness of you. So give us you. Fix our eyes and lift our chins to gaze upon your beauty and splendor. Allow the words that we sing not be void of the hearts that you've changed. We love you. And we pray all these things in the name and in the power of the one who saves and cleans. That's Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.